Hello and welcome to Just Another Bass, a podcast that explores choral music in all its forms at all levels. Whether you just sing in the shower or you sing at Symphony Hall in Boston, whether you're a beginning student or a professional soloist. I'm your host, Jeff Foley, and it's my hope that in each of these podcasts, you take away a new thought about singing that you can bring to your next song. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the Mozart Requiem. I was fortunate enough to make it onto the risers with the Tanglewood Festival Chorus for the Boston Symphony Orchestra's performance under maestro Andres Nelson's baton in late April 2017. Now, we all show up to the first of several rehearsals secretly wondering why we're even bothering rehearsing. You see, if you spend many years singing choral classical music, you're destined to sing certain pieces in the repertoire. You know, the Brahms Requiem, uh, Handel's Messiah, or at least the Hallelujah Chorus, uh, the Verdi Requiem, Carmina Burana. These are, you know, the summer sing pieces. I don't know if you've ever been to a summer sing, but those are the those ad hoc events where uh, choristers are all invited to show up, often with their own scores in hand, and they rehearse a piece briefly with a paid soloist and accompaniment, but then they sing through it with those professional soloists, and everyone has a great time. Those pieces all work for these summer sings because everyone knows them. So sometimes the hardest part about singing them for a real concert series is to forget that you've already sung them several times before so that you can discover all the parts that made them so great in the first place. This happens whenever you sing that favorite church hymn or a solo that you know really well or even happy birthday for the millionth time. You know How do you make these songs genuine and different so that you can engage an audience? Well, by the end of the run, we had created something special. In fact, I'd say the third and final performance on Saturday evening really had some truly magical moments, which left even some of the most jaded chorus members commenting on it being one of the better performances, if not the best performance they'd ever been involved in. So if you get a chance, go to the WGBH.org website, click on the classical section at the top, and find the rebroadcast of the concert so you can hear it for yourself. The chorus and orchestra sounded phenomenal, the balance between the two was amazing, and some of the tempos that Andres Nelson's took were eye-opening. If you've ever heard the Mozart Requiem before, you'll appreciate how fast his Dies Irae was. Here's, here's a quick excerpt. He was up there on the podium clapping his hands to his face like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, just pulling out his hair, anything to get us singing terrified at the fiery pits of hell. And then compare that to him putting the baton down and then leading us through the slow weeping of the violins for the opening of the Lacrimosa. But that great performance doesn't happen without preparation, so that the chorus can respond to those sudden inspirational directions that Andres gives us at the podium. And for that, uh, this time we relied on maestro James Bagwell, who was our guest choral conductor for this piece. I had the opportunity to talk to the maestro the morning after our final orchestra rehearsal on Thursday, before the official performance that evening. Uh, James Bagwell had directed the chorus once before for a performance of Prokofiev's Alexander Nevsky in the fall of 2015, so he was at least familiar with Symphony Hall and the general abilities of uh, the Tanglewood Festival Chorus. 
I know that he had successfully rekindled our interest in the piece through the course of those rehearsals. He drilled us on trouble spots, he insisted on some dictation and rhythm rehearsal tricks that kind of brought us together in a, well, in a uniformity of sound and color that, frankly, we had not always achieved in the last couple years. So I wanted to know more about how he got us from been there, done that, to holy cow, this is amazing. So here's my conversation with James Bagwell, and I've taken the liberty of punctuating it with a few excerpts from the Saturday night performance to uh, really emphasize some of the points that he made about diction, dynamics, and maintaining an internal pulse to keep rhythm and tempo aligned across 120 singers. It's my pleasure today to be here in Boston with Maestro James Bagwell. He's currently the professor of music at Bard College and director of performance studies at the Bard College Conservatory. But uh, you've worn a lot of hats in your career and uh, <laughs> working with the Collegiate Chorale, conducting operas at Carnegie Hall and Light Opera Oklahoma. I've, yes, I looked through your bio and all the great <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you're kind of the itinerant conductor. I know you've been to a lot of different places. That's right, you're, yeah. You were flying back and forth between here and Tulsa to That's perform right. the Brahms Requiem. So right. you're a busy guy and we're <laughs> really lucky to have you here at the Tanglewood Festival Chorus for three performances of the Mozart Requiem. Thank you. So welcome. Thanks. <laughs> The first thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, so many people in the chorus can do this kind of thing on automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. How do you unfamiliarize a chorus with a piece like this? And you probably had to do it with the Brahms Requiem, too, mm -hmm. at Tulsa. How, how do you get people to not drive on autopilot? Well, the first thing I do is to get myself not to drive on autopilot, because <laughs> I've prepared this thing and conducted it numerous times. And I just start with a fresh score and... Uh, start reanalyzing it and then I try to rehearse it in a way that's analytical so that people know what they're singing and which parts to bring out, which parts not to bring out. Um, New, trying to find different ways to rehearse the piece so that it doesn't sound, doesn't feel familiar. Right. I mean, that's, you know, as, as you said, uh, going through it with a fresh score, mm -hmm. it was a, a pleasure to get our own scores with your markings yeah. already in there so that we didn't have to say go through a word doc and put in all the marks that somebody yeah has that put I, I'm, ahead of time. I'm a, in fact I have a stack of scores with me now that I'm <laughs> marking for for the summer so I'm I'm a big believer in do I do my homework and then I don't waste time talking you know and people actually spend time singing rather than me telling them what to do oh where do you fall in the there's there's always three great debates that go around on here one is the you know, let everyone go off and learn things on their own versus you know weekly pounded pounded into them you know, re mm -hmm. rehearsals to try to get the notes right. People have different preferences. I'm wondering if uh, I I think it's better if people learn the music on their own because yeah. if you spend too much time teaching notes, then you can't ever really get to the music. Yeah, exactly. It takes too long. The other debate, of course, is the memorization versus on book. Yeah, <laughs> story I'm, here, which we've we've gone. People prefer both around here. Yeah, right? yeah. I I'm such a I'm such a marker. I mark everything, <laughs> and I don't think there's any way I could remember everything. You know, if someone tells me to do a crescendo on page three, measure five, and I don't have a score in front of my face, then I'm not gonna, that's gonna be meaningless to me. So I like to have the score and I don't conduct from memory either. So I just- There you go. <laughs> I, I just don't, it's just something that I'm not, um, comfortable with, but some people are, you know. Yeah, I think our, our memorization, uh, um, streak started when Seiji started conducting by memory and it's mm -hmm. like if he could do it then maybe mm -hmm. we can do it and mm -hmm. uh, we've gone fallen in and out of love with it over the, right. the years so the other thing that's always uh, a, a debate is the hashed versus sections mm -hmm. and I'm really mm -hmm. happy that we're in mm -hmm. hashed I think a lot of people are especially for a piece that we're familiar with right 
Uh, I know there's a few a few people that are doing it for the first time that were like, oh, this makes it a little more nervous, mm-hmm. but that just makes you know the music. Well, it forces you to listen to other parts, and so you don't become an island into yourself. You know, it's sort of a... It builds it builds a sound, a different kind of sound. So, I really like the way that you were rehearsing us. Um, built on that a lot more than I, I've noticed when I performed it in the past. You would pick us out in duets and have us mm-hmm. pick the parts that move together so that we could actually you know try to right. listen to each other. It wasn't just following the conductor and getting on the train when you needed to. That's it was right. actually well, the, trying to match with other people. Well, there's so much in the in the Kyrie. There is so much contra, contrapuntal writing. in and out duets and in and out trios and so that's part of the way I go back and refresh myself with a score to try to look for things that I haven't seen yet you know to try to just find things and just sit with it that's great um, I also saw you were a big fan of the the rhythmic the <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to be able to sing the fifth movement or the fifth measure of that piece without going Saba, oh, oh, oh. right <laughs> that's a the pulsing was really a, yeah, a big part of it. <laughs> that, that's a actually a, a little bit of a of a Robert Shaw used to do count singing, singing on uh, numbers, and uh, I've sort of adopted that to a degree. And, and but instead of singing on numbers, sing it on the actual vowel that you're going to sing. That um, gets us through the ostias. And yeah, stuff like and that. things like that. And and there are certain movements in this where I know choruses slow down. <laughs> so you have to feel that that's a way of really building the inner pulse. You had, you had trouble spots identified before the first note we sang. I noticed I, in the first, I, I, the first, yeah, the first couple of rehearsals. It was yeah. like, all right, let's first you kind of let let the reins go and let us run through the whole piece. Right. And you said, all right, now we're going to go to this spot. We're going to go to that spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done it a few times, so uh, I know where I know where the pitfalls are. Do you find that the pulsing is uh, particularly useful for the, the, this Mozart, or is it a general technique? That it's you something use all I've the time? done with um, with a lot of different, especially large uh, orchestral choral works, Brahms mm. Requiem. I've pulsed that thing a million <laughs> times, but it but you can't do it a lot, you know, because it gets vocally tiring. But it makes its point. Right, and if you just sort of remind, <laughs> it exposes the mistakes. Right? It does. It's a real, and also singing staccato and uh, right. not sustaining things, and you can find out what the rhythmic profile is a lot faster, and you can also find out where the rhythmic profile is not happening. You also had some great tricks for consonant placement. You know, I, there's you know there's, there's familiar refrains about consonant in front of the B mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm, like that, but mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever um, written in my score. K apostrophe W ondo or you know, uh-huh. like, you know the, mm-hmm. the flam like actually yeah. putting the shadow vowel in there on yeah. some of those blends to really get it out in front. So yeah, it, it works. It's uh, it's just a lot of of trying things to see what works. We I did Mozart Requiem uh, back in the summer with mostly Mozart and the D of D A C R A was not sounding and I had the chorus sing Nadi for a couple of times until they figured out exactly how to pop the D of that vowel 
and it worked. We so, have the odd de te and stuff odd like de te, yeah. yeah. And so if you put the if you just say odd te, then you're not saying a d t e. You're right. saying something else. So the the shadow vowel and it's it's really like a cushion of vowel. I think that helps to uh, you know to particularize these consonants. One of your other themes has been that we're you, that choruses are never quiet enough for you. No, nope. we got to get you know for you to have us do piano. Then you say, okay, let's see pew piano. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's see pianissimo. Now let's yeah. see pianissimo with intensity. Right, <laughs> right. Is that uh, again? Is that specific to the Mozart? Or is that something that's that you're specific always... to me? I, I just <laughs> you know I, I the thing that I'm always find missing frequently, not just in choruses but in, in orchestras too, are the are the real contrast of dynamics. You know, it tends to be. You know, we live our life almost sort of a mezzo forte, and uh, it's uh, it's in in this piece and in other pieces to really feel and hear the extremes of the emotion that those dynamics bring, not just loud but soft. Said otherwise, this would be the Mahler Requiem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It becomes it just becomes loud. So. <laughs> That's great. How do you tell how far to push a chorus? You know, you know. I, I'm sure you have you, with all the different choruses you've prepared. Mm-hmm. You get different levels. You get you know, like the TFC's per, uh, personality is. Uh, I'd say we're you know we're all generally musically intelligent, but you have some career musicians mm-hmm. who are teachers or performers in their own rights, and you have hacks like me that are doing it on the side <laughs> while we're doing some other jobs, and, and so you have different levels. I mean, here we have a, a level of intelligence that's that we've cultivated over the years, but I'm sure you deal with you know all professional singers, all you know more amateur mm-hmm. volunteer. How do you find that it, it's, level? It's intuit. You intuit. Um, I'm, you know, I'm never satisfied. Uh, you know, I'm always trying to find ways to make it better. And I think most everybody who participates in choruses, whether they're uh, non-professional or professional, they're all striving for the same goal. And uh, I don't think that, I don't believe in too much rehearsal. I believe in too much wrong rehearsal. How, what know? do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you can just run, run it, run through it, let's run through it, let's run through it. And instead of figuring out why you're running through it, you know, sometimes you do do need to sing it. But at this point where we are now, it's a matter of isolating um, specific spots that need attention and letting everything go that doesn't, you know, rather than just hammering the same things over and over again. I have a whole list of notes from this morning. I'm that sure. I'm gonna, that, you know, little <laughs> tiny things, but it's just ways to make it better. Yeah, that's great. Do you end up working with Andres at all before you before the first rehearsal to get an idea of tempos or things? You no, want to do? we didn't because this is such a standard rep piece. Yeah, exactly. Um, we did disc- when I did Nevsky. We, we we did talk a little bit about it, but it's such a the Mozart is a standard piece that I think most choruses know and can adapt pretty quickly. Yeah, it's funny when we finally had the piano rehearsal with him. It didn't feel like he had a lot of notes for us again because he's. It seems like a fairly standard thing or maybe we just did enough pre-work that we were (laughs) at the right level but then of course once we bring the orchestra in and he's worrying about balance like you you knew from the Nevsky that he would pull back the orchestra if we got quiet enough and so if we could just sort of Right. Enforce that, then yeah. he would he would make the change. That's right, and the and the he's very sensitive to the to the balances, and uh, yeah, I, I was happy to see that. 
that's great. Uh, what else can you tell me about preparing pieces like the the Mozart, you know, ahead of time coming coming in here, and how that preparation changes from rehearsal to rehearsal as you see kind of our progress? Mm, well, I mean, I like I said, the rehearsal starts months before I start rehearsing because <laughs> I I sat down with the Mozart score and marked it up. I think during November or December or some long a long time ago, and I just went back and started over again with a fresh score, and then, you know, you just sort of have to. Um, figure out what the tolerance level is, you know, how much can people <laughs> tolerate in terms of rehearsal. And also, um, you know, seeing the progress from rehearsal to rehearsal, then you know what needs attention. And often it's not just a matter of the whole, but it's a matter, as I said earlier, of the spots that you know are going to be problematic and then fixing those early when you're torturing the sopranos with sense of vibrato right 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 <laughs> i hear them groan around me oh that's no, yeah yeah well you <laughs> can't can't win them all <laughs> Um, do you change your approach at all for the different halls? You know, it's Carnegie Hall, Symphony Hall. And, you know, you were aware yeah. of what we're dealing with here because of the uh, uh, the acoustics of it. Right. Some of the consonants. Well, I it. think that, yeah. And, and also, um, it, that hall is so booming that things can tend to get a little bit late between the right. chorus and the orchestra. And As if the, we weren't already trying right. <laughs> to fall behind. But it's not happening. It's good. It's going well. And, and just being a little, just being really articulate. But yeah, if it's a wet hall, um, then you have to articulate more. If it's a dry hall, then you have to change the way you approach. It can't be too crisp, you know. It, it has to have more legato. It's funny. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, you know, you're articulating too much. You need to stop. never. I've <laughs> never. I've never said that to anybody <laughs> sure. in my life. In terms of course, even, even in the wettest, it could, right, right, it could be flooded, and you could yeah. be like, no, no, more, yeah, yeah. more, uh, more vowels, more, more consonants. That's right. I'm always learning more. So, do you ever find that? Um, do uh, you have to f focus more on pedagogy than the notes and the rhythm, like trying to get people to sing? I, didn't, I noticed you weren't trying to tell us how to sing, which I think some people appreciate mm -hmm. you know, because we all think that we're amazing singers and don't need it. But you, you were dropping hints about ways to... Yeah, I'm not a voice teacher. Um, you know, I know how to get the sound that I want by this, certain things, but I'm, I'm not here to teach voice. You know, that's a whole other science... Um, what I'm trying to do is teach ensemble singing. I'm trying to ah, get people okay. to sing together. And if you sing the right note at the right time with the right vowel and the right articulation, then everything is fine. It's all just doing the same thing at the same time. Right. Unif unif <laughs> unifying a lot of different kinds of voices. It's funny because I know um, when the... Tanglewood Festival Chorus was, or was first formed, John Oliver had sort of a philosophy, I don't know if it was written or unwritten, of rather than get a bunch of people that will blend, I want to get a bunch of people that are great soloists mm -hmm. and they'll kind of figure it out. Yeah. I don't know if we've maintained that over the, over the years, but it makes for a very different sound. It does. It doesn't yeah. stop us from needing to... No, no. Like an and all the all the pros, professionals that I work with in New York, they most of them have careers, and they right. uh, a soloist, and uh, so, but they also want to do ensemble singing, and it's it's like a they a don't block. see it as beneath them. Oh no, yeah. no, God, no! I mean, you know, you get I to want to direct. You <laughs> get to sing the greatest pieces. You know, it's like uh, not everybody can be Itzhak Perlman. You know, you, you uh, and and orchestral players the same way. You know, they'll play solos, repertoire. They'll play quartets. Uh, and then they play in large orchestras, and it's all you know, about being about being focused on ensemble and being together and uh, listening to one another. That's great. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite part of the Mozart Requiem? Are you allowed to have? Oh, have I don't your know. Children they're they're all. It's all good. You know, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, I mean, the opening is is sort of iconic uh, uh, to me, but. Uh, It's all good. That's great. Now, I, I see that the next thing you're doing is you're down at Carnegie Hall for a performance of Elgar's The Apostles. That's with, right. Uh, with uh, the Bard Festival Chorale and the American Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, so yeah. That should be a fun gig. It's, it's great music. and it's. N- I, I don't know that one. I'm going to have to... I know Elgar's Dream, Dream of Drummers. Yeah, but, uh, I'm not sure it's been performed in the United in New York since... If, if it ever has been, um, I'm sure it has been somewhere, but uh, it's one of those pieces that has... Uh, sat on the shelf for way too long. It's gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful writing. That's great. Yeah. Uh, final question, uh, any universal advice to singers at any level? That, 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 what, you know, not that there's, you know, there's a zillion things, but you mm-hmm. know, one, one thing that you would love to tell people to remember. Um, remember that you're singing words. It's <laughs> text. It's really, it really has to be, has to start with the text. That's great. So. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Easy enough. Thanks. My sincere thanks again to Maestro James Bagwell for joining me for this session. Once again, if you're a fan of the Mozart Requiem, or even if you're just curious what all the fuss is about, it's worth it to set aside an hour at some point to go to the WGBH.org website and listen to the rebroadcast of the concert. I believe they keep them up for a year, so you have until April 2018 to hear what was truly an inspired performance. That wraps up this episode. Until next time, may you find more ways to create joy. (laughs) 